you're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. But we've been walking through this series on what does it what does it mean to be the family? We talk about God has created the church to be not just uh, an organization, but we are a family, the body of Christ, that we are his sons and daughters, we are co-heirs with Christ. And so we've been talking about what does this mean, what does this look like practically, to be a family at church, to be a family at home. And so as we've been walking through the different dynamics and the different rules within a family, a few weeks ago I got to the man. What does it mean to be a man? And how sometimes culture has defined masculinity by all these different social pressures. You know, whether you can build a good career, whether you can have sex a lot, or whether you're mighty and strong and the ripped guy from the Planet Fitness commercials. Like we have all these little stereotypes of what it means to be masculine and how we, we looked at like how, what, what it means to be a, a man through Scripture. And this morning, I have the light to preach on what does it mean to be a woman through Scripture. Um, I see a few people smiling. A lot of you look very angry already. So um, the truth is there are vast differences between men and women. And um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on women. But what I will do is I, I, I recognize that I'm a husband and I'm a pastor. So I can look to my wife for reference and I can look to the scripture for reference. So I will share with you this morning to the best of my ability what I see in scripture it means to be feminine or to be a woman and what we find our identity in. Um, there, are, there are huge differences between men and women. And I, and I recognize these. Um, for instance, like myself... My wife knows exactly what I'm mad about something. She can tell instantly that I'm upset. Um, I don't say anything, but she knows. Like, there's, like, I guess, I don't know what it is, but she just knows something's wrong with you. It's, it's not that I'm mad at, there's nothing wrong with her. It's always something wrong with me. Um, that's why she can tell that I'm mad. But for me, she can be mad for a week, and I have no clue. Like, there, do you, you guys, some of you husbands know what I'm talking about? There's a difference in the way men and women display anger. Uh, I was joking recently about a display of anger between two of my friends where it was all of a sudden an outburst of yelling and possibly almost violence. 20 minutes later, they're sharing pizza and watching basketball together. Um, so I call that in the, in the man world of things, we like to, you know, we punch it out, punch, punch pizza. You know, that's what we do. Like we get it out of our systems. It's done. Whether it's verbal punches or physical punches, it's out. Women... There can be two years of passive-aggressive conversations or whispers until somebody realizes, oh, wait, they're mad at me. Like, men just handle frustrations differently. We handle life differently. We just are different. So I'm not an expert on being a woman. But like I said, I'm going to try to approach this through Scripture and through my wife's approval. Everything I say here has her approval on this, so you can blame her later. Um, I will give you her email address if you would like. Uh, not our address because I live there too, so... Um, um, when looking at scripture though I feel like there are a lot of verses about what it means to be a woman to be a wife to be a mother that have been taken very heavily out of context and been used as fuel for for racism or for chauvinism there there are a lot of verses that history has shown church people have used as fuel For those two things, racism and chauvinism. When the truth is that scripture has always led the way for equal rights. The gospel always leads the way for equal rights. And let me look at some of these things this morning. But first I want to talk about 
the other week when I preached on what does it mean to be a man, I looked at a few of the things that our culture sets as identity, like what we look for identity. And I just mentioned those a few minutes ago, you know, such as a good career or, or power, or strength, whatever. And I want to look at some of the things that I believe our culture kind of, women in our culture try to find identity in. Can I do that this morning? Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and Jimmy actually mentioned this passage last week, and I want to share it this morning because uh, it goes along with this as well. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, if we have that on the screen, we do. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, the Bible in the pew in front of you is our gift to you. You can have that, but we also have the verses here on the screen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and 42, it says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and, listening, and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted, distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I'm just kidding. Martha, Martha. Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I feel like in our society, and this verse is a prime example, Jimmy spoke on it last week, Martha here is in that moment, she is comparing herself to her sister and trying to one-up her sister, have a little bit more worth to her sister by the amount of work that she's doing. She says, Jesus, look, I'm doing all this work, and my sister's just sitting there at your feet doing nothing. Look at what I'm doing. Tell her to help me out here. Tell her to have the same amount of worth. Because on comparison level, she's doing nothing and I'm doing everything. I feel like just watching in life as a culture, women try to find identity somewhere. And this is, I know this is blanket statements here. But there are a lot of women who try to find their identity in how well they take care of a house, how, well, how much work they can do, how much they can achieve at their job. And here we see Martha saying, she's in comparison saying, look what I can do. I'm better than my sister. Tell her to get up and help me. She's finding her worth and her, and her value in how much she's doing. And here Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Right before that, he says, one thing is necessary. She's sitting at the presence of her Lord and taking all of him in. And Mary's trying to work real hard. Jimmy even talked about last week how the problem wasn't Mary's or Martha's work. It wasn't that she was working because we see her working all the time when we see her in Scripture. She's constantly working and doing things. The problem isn't work. The problem was that she valued herself and her self-worth came from her work more than it came from sitting at Christ's feet. She was finding her self-worth in comparison to her sister and not in her pre- the presence of God in her life. So when I look at different things, different traps that culturally we can get into, I feel like it's very easy. I look at the life of my mom, the life of my wife, and see that they are hard workers. They do a lot. But if they don't value Christ first and foremost, they'll miss the point. And this goes the same for men, but I'm just saying this because it's what we see in Scripture here. If you value make, being a good mom and, and getting all the meals together, packing the lunches, packing everything, and, and taking care of it, whether it's a job, if you're not a mom, working really hard, improving your self-worth at work, and you're not valuing time in his presence, then you're missing the point of why you were created. I don't hear any amen, so either you, I saw a thumbs up, so I'll take that. You're missing the point. It doesn't make you any more valued if you're working and not getting time in his presence. I love that Jesus says the thing that will not be taken away from her. 
All the things that we build with our hands, all the lunch boxes we pack, all the careers that we build, all the, the houses that we keep dusted. Guess what? Next week it gets dusty. My house gets dusty every three days. It's annoying because I dust a lot. I help my wife with that. I vacuum, I dust. It's my way to contribute. It's easy for me. I do it. I also fold the laundry because I used to work at a clothing store and I'm really good at it. And I'm particular. It's true. I fold better than my wife and she admits that, correct? I'm a great folder. But guess what? Next week I got to fold that same shirt again. Time in his presence, never lose it. Never, never is wasted. Never diminishes. It's always valuable. I don't have to do it again. I'm constantly spending time in his presence because I want to, but I keep, it keeps adding to value in my life. So if we, if, if you as women are looking for identity and how can I build a good house, how can I be, be a good wife, a good mom, take care of the family, or do this job, and do this career, and work really hard, it fades. But time in his presence is something that you, you'll, never, you'll never lose. The second passage I want to look at this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, and this is kind of where I want to focus on my final two thoughts, the final two categories this morning. And this can be one of those verses that if not looked at through the proper eyes, you can think, wow, that's really sexist. But I want to look at it this morning in light of what the gospel is actually saying. But starting in verse 3 instead of verse 1, I'll come back to verse 1. Starting in verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, the God, which in God's sight is very precious. Let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying it's a sin to wear jewelry or makeup or do your hair. That's not what it's saying. I have heard this verse preached that way. I'm missing the point. I am very thankful that some women have makeup and jewelry and know how to do their hair. I'm, just, um, just, I'm thankful that my wife knows how to do that. She doesn't wake up every morning with hair from sleep, just out, you know, crazy, and then walk around. This verse isn't saying, hey, just look like a slob all the time because it doesn't really matter. It's, that's a sin to look pretty. That's not what it's saying. Thank God that's not what it's saying. What he's saying here is in that culture, at that time, you, all you have to do is look at Roman art during this time. If you were rich and sophisticated, your hair was done up and your, and your body was covered in jewelry. And the more jewelry you had, the richer and more sophisticated you were in that culture. He's saying your value as a woman isn't in how many braids you can put in your hair or how much jewelry you can, you can wear. That rhymed, Dr. Seuss, this morning. It's not in that. It's in finding your identity and having a good heart and a good spirit about you. Knowing who I am in your life. The problem is when we begin to find our identity in physical beauty or looking like the rich or trying to be fit or attractive or, or whatever, my, we begin to put our identity in that. Can I be the fittest person? Can I be the most attractive person? How much more beautiful can I make myself look? How rich can I look? What fashion trends can I wear that make me of more value? When we place our value in those things instead of looking at God and living for him, then we've missed the point. We can't have a higher value for personal appearance over personal character. That's what that verse is saying. As a woman, value your character. Value who you are, the spirit that's within you, over jewelry, over fashion statements, over all those things. That needs to be your value. 
What is your character? How do you reflect me? What spirit do you bring about you? I have to remind myself of that all the time when I pack my clothes. I know you guys are thinking, he is a fashion setter right here. I just I set the trends every day. Kidding. It's true. In high, in high school, I was pretty... Uh, I was pretty fashionable, and then life happened. I got married, and I got fat, and I just don't fit in the Hollister clothes anymore. It's true. I just don't. Um, Abercrombie, they don't make anything in my size. It's just true. So, Walmart it is. <laughs> Kidding. Kind of. When we begin to look for our identity and how fashionable or how rich we can look and what kind of trends we set, we miss the point. The next thing I want to look at, and we'll look at the full of that passage, um, I think a trap that our culture tries to put on women is proving equality. We got to, as, as women in this country and in, in society, there's a constant battle to prove the worth of a woman. Does that make sense? You guys understand what I'm saying? For the majority of history, women have been seen as the lesser sex. They were victimized and devalued and abused. I believe that as a culture in today's world, we should, there's no reason for that. There's absolutely no reason. There should be equal pay. There should be equal values, equal rights, equal say for men and women. There should be. There's no, there's no reason to have any sort of abuse or viewing women as the lesser sex. That's, I don't see that in the gospel. And I, don't see, I don't believe that should be in culture today. But I feel like for so many generations, for, for the majority of history, that has constantly been the fight for women where there's a constant uphill battle. So they're trying to prove their worth, tr- prove that they're valued or that they're of the same equality. And this morning, I, I want to I mention that finding your identity in that can be a trap in itself as well. Let me, let me read here uh, first, first Peter, what Peter says um, Starting in verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then it goes into the verses we just talked about, about um, clothing and, and jewelry. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. If you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to a woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that the prayers may not be hindered. So there are a few things in that verse. If you read it at face value, it sounds very demeaning toward women. Let me, let me tell you how this gospel and what Peter says here is shocking and actually creates equality for the first time. In Roman culture, look at the first verse there. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What it's saying is, wives, love and submit to your husbands, even if your husbands aren't believers, if they don't believe in the word, if they don't believe scripture, but keep proving through your conduct that the word's true, that they might be won over. In Rome, if you were a woman, you did not have a choice in the belief system or faith that you had. 
You had to believe whatever your husband believed. That was your only religion. So if I chose some religion, my wife had to believe that. Whether she internally believed it or not, she had to believe that. And for the first time, Peter's saying, no, women, you're allowed to have your own faith. You found the gospel. You found what's real. Hold on to the truth of the gospel and win them by your love. Win over and convert your husbands by pure conduct and by loving them. This was completely countercultural at the time. No woman was allowed to have any kind of say, it like, say like this. And Peter says, you have the right to believe in the good and loving God. And you can win your husbands over. There was no Roman husband who's like, oh, wife, what do you believe? Yeah, let, let me take that on. But the gospel is different. It brings a level of equality. It brings a level of understanding who we are in Christ, that we are created equal in his image. So for the first time in history, I want you to get this. This is, this is pro-women here. This verse empowers women. So the next thing here that can sound a little bit whatever is the whole as, obey as Sarah obeyed Abraham. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. See, nowhere in Scripture do we see that women are supposed to be obedient completely demeaningly obedient to their husbands and subjected to everything that they say. What we see here is as Sarah obeyed Abraham, Abraham was a leader of his family who listened to the voice of God and loved Sarah with his whole heart. A husband who loved and gave himself for his wife, who cherished her and who cherished the voice of God. This is... Not demeaning obedience. It's trusting a loving husband who's being led by a loving God. It's my wife, as we shared the story a few weeks ago, in the whole transition to Scranton. My wife was able to hear me say, I believe that God's leading us to Scranton. And she was able to pray about that. And she was able to trust and say, you know what, I feel like God's saying this as well. I'm going to trust you. And believe me, I've shared this before. Our first year in this city was awful. (laughs) Not because Scranton's awful but because life was just everything that could go wrong went wrong. It would have been real easy for her to say, I'm really mad at you, and I'm going back home. But she trusted me. She trusted that I heard God. She also trusted that she heard God. And so I was able to lead her as a husband who loved her and loved God in this city, in a place that we didn't know what was happening, trusting that God was doing something. This is not... Me saying, you will do what I say when I say. This is saying, wives, love and trust your husband. If you have a good husband, he should be listening to God. He's supposed to be a leader who's loving and cherishing you, taking care of you, rejoicing in you, sacrificing himself for you. This is what he's saying. This is not a culture, this is not Peter saying, go ahead and do whatever your husband says because they're in charge. He's saying, your husbands need to love you and you need to trust them to be being led by God. Does that make sense this morning? I hope so. In no way does the Bible say that women are subject to men in general, but, but as men, we are, to, we are given a mandate to lovingly lead our homes and our churches. As men, we have a responsibility to seek God and, and selflessly lead and love our families and our church. Women have been... Women throughout Scripture have been used as, as ways to save God's people. Scripture has always been positive for women's rights. There's been so many examples in Scripture where women have been a prophetic voice 
that spoke wisdom and change to a nation, to a country that saved an entire country or a nation. Scripture delights in women. It doesn't demean them or abuse them. It builds them up and cherishes them. I think it's funny that, you know, we talked about a few months ago, Jared was preaching on, you know, Christianity and the roots of Christianity. The first witnesses to the resurrected Christ were women. And in that society, in that culture, women didn't have a say. Their testimony was not allowed in court. And so all of our faith is even built up on the first testimony of two women. Scripture always values women. Verse 6, it said about, As Sarah obeyed her husband, calling the Lord, and you, are, and you are her children, and if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. There's something that this verse is talking about. We need to trust in, in a good God who loves us. There's not reason for fear. Our identity isn't in how can I over, uh, prove my worth, my equality with man. My, my identity is how do I trust God? How do I love God? How am I being led by a good, loving God? That's where my identity is. Verse 7, I think, is very challenging to men. It says, likewise, men, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to your wives as the weaker vessel. Let me explain. In a society that victimized women, and let's be honest, women and men are built differently. That's a broad statement. There are some women who could beat me up in a second. It's just true. But in a culture that constantly victimized and abused women, he's saying, honor them, take care of them, protect them. They're constantly being abused because of the way they're built, because of their... They're not masculine. They're not the heroes, the, the, the supermen. And all those big guys are beating them up. Take care of them, honor them, love them, cherish them. This is saying, men, you need to understand every need your, your wife has. You need to be thinking and concerned about their desires, their needs, what makes them joyful, what makes them sad. You need to be looking at their needs beyond your own. Men said, amen, somebody. Nobody agrees. All you women have a long conversation on the way home with your husbands. Men need to honor, we need to honor women. We just do. There's no reason for, to think that we're better or, or we have the right to dominate women. We are built equally, equally but differently. It's just true. There is equality, but we're different. God has given us specific tasks. He's given women specific tasks. But we're both built equally. And our first and primary desire is to seek and know him first. We're equal heirs. See, there's a difference in uh, the, the last part of that verse. I love that there. It says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Yikes. He's saying, honor, delight in them, or your prayers will be hindered. I'm not hearing your prayers because you're taking advantage and abusing your wife. If you want your prayers listened, you honor your wife. You respect your wife. You love your wife. They're equal heirs with you. That is a bold statement in Rome. There's no woman who is an equal heir in any sense or form of her husband. And Peter's saying she's an equal heir with you in the kingdom of God. Equal. This is mind-blowing. I feel like we live in America now, so everybody's just looking at me. That's really nice. I appreciate that. 
if I'm Peter and I said this to that culture, those are fighting words. If you're a man living in Rome and I just told you your wife is equal with you, you're like, seriously, boss, back down. Don't give, don't give her any ideas. She might think a little bit and that would be bad. Like that, that was the society that, that Peter is addressing here. He's saying you're equal heirs. Husbands, God's not listening to you if you don't respect and honor and cherish your wife. These are big words that need to hit our heart and make us realize we need to be selfless and loving. There's equality here. Genesis chapter 1, 28, we see that when God created the world and God created man, he said to man, you have dominion over the earth and all of the creatures. You have dominion over them. But then in chapter 2, when he's talking about creating woman, we see that he is the helper, he is out of the side, and and she is of one flesh. We have been given dominion over the earth and the other th- all the things in it, but we have a helper in a wife. We don't have dominion over our wives. We are not to conquer them. We are not to abuse them. We are to love and respect them. So if you're a woman and you feel like you're constantly battling this idea of how do I prove my worth, how do I prove my equality with men, Scripture and Christ has already done that. Your value isn't in how can you prove your worth. It's how can you live out your worth in Christ. I think I, I still blows my mind whenever I see issues of racism or chauvinism in our culture today. It still it still shocks me because I feel like that shouldn't exist, but it does. The truth is, it does, and it, and it happens unfortunately a lot in the church with men who use these verses not understanding what was actually being said, missing the point, missing what was actually being said. How dare any man use his strength or words? or sex, or any kind of other thing to dominate and control a woman. Scripture and the gospel give no place for that. If you're a woman, and you feel like you've been a victim to that, the gospel gives no place for that. It just, it just doesn't. Your husband, your boyfriend, your family has no right. You were equal heirs in Christ. There's equality in Christ. The last thing I want to look at here this morning in Luke chapter 1, we see this, this per- perfect example to me of, of what I'm trying to relate this morning. Luke chapter 1, we see the story of the birth of Christ. And in verse 38, after the angel comes to Mary, a teenager, a virgin, and says to her, hey, you're about to get married to Joseph. Um, Jesus is going to be born in you. You're going to be pregnant right now. And uh, it's not going to be your husband's. It's going to be God's. And this is her response in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think during the holidays we hear the story over and over again. But it should never, we should never miss the, the point that Mary had a lot at stake here. She's a young Jewish girl who's probably, her, her whole dream was to get married to be pure, to get married, and to have a husband who loved her and cherished her. And in one second, an angel says, you're about to have a baby. It's not going to be your husband's. It's not going to be a guy that you're engaged to. That can devastate her. All of her dreams, all of her ambitions just went out the window. Her goals in life as a young Jewish girl in that culture, in that time, every goal that she had hoped for could have just been gone. And her response to the angel who said, this is God's plan for you. She said, let it be 
according to the word. Her identity couldn't be, wasn't built in any career or any social status. Well, okay, if I get this husband, things will be good. Or my future children. It was based on what is God saying to me. That's what I desire. That's what my identity is in. All my other dreams, they don't mean anything. Women, your feminine value has to be in how, first how you seek God. How you desire his presence. How you respond in obedience to him. And then secondly, wives loving and trusting your husbands and, and being mothers. Like all those things are secondary to loving God. Our identity has to be in that first. You might think, well, this is very similar to what you said to men. Yes, it is very similar to what I said to men. My identity cannot be in any physical strength or any job or any career. The same way a woman's can't be in her physical beauty Versus my physical strength. It can't be in a career or the way you take care of a house or the, or the job that you seek. It has to be in Christ first. We are a church that believes that scripture shows us over and over again that our ultimate joy, our ultimate satisfaction, the reason we were created was to experience the joy of God in our lives. Relationship with him. That is why we took communion this morning. Because for the first time we were able, because of the work of the cross, we were able to have relationship with him. That's the gospel. That's what we've been, we've been saved from our sinful separated selves. And now we are heirs of Christ, equal together, pursuing the presence of God. And if we're, if our identity or our delight are in anything else, if our primary concern is how do I build a house? How do I look good? How do I, how do I get beautiful? How do I keep young? How do I, whatever, build a career? How do I control my family? If our identity is in any of these things, we miss the point. Martha, you missed the point. What Mary has will never be taken from her. You and I get to do that this morning. You and I get to spend time in God. Please, if you're a mother or a wife, I know it's easy to get very busy. But don't realize what will, be, what will never be taken from you. And that's your time seeking his face, loving God, trusting God, finding identity in him. It all comes back to being self, selfless before a good God. Say, I'm not concerned about my personal ambitions or goals. I'm concerned about what you're saying to me. That's what it all comes down to. Hopefully, if you're a woman, you've been encouraged this morning. Hopefully, you realize that there is all these things can be very distracting and very false. Because we have a God who's created us equal, different, we're very different, the way we interact, the way our physical bodies are built, the way we're, we're different. We're men and women, equal heirs, pursuing a good God. Men, if you're like, well, he just talked about women the whole time. I hope you got something out of this as well. I hope you understand. I, I've, I said this in home group, I think, last week, and I'll say it now, because there are a lot of single people in this church. I'm not going to pretend... And I, I will never forget these words that were spoken to me by my youth pastor. He said, Jesse, he said, whenever you're looking for a wife, whenever you're looking for a girlfriend, she's got to be somebody that you think loves God more than you do. And I would say that to every person in this church. Because Sarah was able to look at her husband, Abraham, and say, I trust you. I trust that you're leading me. I trust that you love me more than anything. I trust that you love God more than you love me. Because then you always treat me right. And the same thing the other way around. 
women should be looking for a husband who loves God and men should be looking for a woman who loves God because then we'll see this example of what family is supposed to look like. We'll understand what it means to submit but yet still be equal and valued and honored and cherished and protected. We'll understand that. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're single or if you've been married, Scripture is written to give us life and life more abundantly. If we really believe this, if we live by this, there's just joy. Peter was speaking joy to, that, to those families, to those women, to those men. He wasn't speaking criticism or rules or legalism. He was speaking joy in life. Mm-hmm.